Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. In this episode, I chat with Laura Pertel. Laura and I met at UNC playing intramural sports, and she immediately became a mainstay within our friend group. After graduating with a degree in journalism, Laura began her career at Bloomberg News in New York City, where she covered Wall Street and banking as a reporter on Bloomberg's finance team. She then helped create and led the team covering and tracking executive compensation. In 2015, Laura joined ESPN as a senior editor for ESPNW, responsible for feature storytelling around women's sports. Now, Laura is a senior editor at ESPN's investigative unit, working at ESPN's headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. In this episode, we chat about what it's like to work at ESPN, how to manage imposter syndrome, and how to balance motherhood with your career. Enjoy. Super excited to have Laura Pertel on the podcast today. Laura is very kind. She cares deeply for others. She's competitive, a great athlete, passionate, She's a new mom, and I'm proud to call her a friend. Today, we're going to build with Laura Pertel. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Clay, that intro almost made me cry. That was so nice of you. Thank you. We met playing intramural sports. It started with soccer, which was you know kind of your bread and butter. And then we mm-hmm. saw, hey, Laura's a great athlete. Let's bring her over and start to play some flag football. Little did you know... <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that, you know, maybe the hand eye wasn't as good as the foot eye. Certainly um, not. You had, no. you still had good moments, but I got to have you tell the story of one of my favorite flag football stories out there. Uh, sure. Also, like in my defense, I feel like I was not so bad of a pass rusher. Maybe I'm just like inventing that in hindsight, but I feel like I was maybe okay at that. No, because you, you had speed. Yeah, you were good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And like, I could get up in your face, you know? Um. So let's see. Okay, so we were playing flag football uh, intramural at uh, UNC, and I guess for co-ed games, the rule is if a girl scores a touchdown, it's more points, and you know the scoring system better than I do, but that's yeah, what I remember. Yeah, it was nine points for a girl touchdown, six points for a guy touchdown. Yeah, so right. we So we had picked the ball. Doug, our friend, mutual friend, had picked the ball off. The game is not even close. So it's really not that important. But Doug is running down the field, jukes a couple people out, gets to the one yard line, and you did the right thing. You ran behind him because you wanted to be the one to cross the end zone line because you knew if you crossed, you would get three more points. I'm so glad that your memory is that the game wasn't even close and that this didn't even matter because this is like an outsized event in my (laughs) (laughs) intramural memory. So, um, Yeah. So I guess Doug intercepted it. I don't even remember that. I just remember running alongside him to the end zone so that he could pass me the ball on the one yard line. And by pass you the ball, meaning literally come to a full stop and hand you the ball. (laughs) Yes. So, (laughs) so I'm like running down the field triumphantly, you know, realizing how brilliant I am that we're going to get nine points instead of six. We stop at the one yard line from like a pretty full sprint so there's that Doug as you said just like turns to his left with the ball in his hands to give it to me I'm standing within six inches of him um and I drop it (laughs) right before stepping into the end zone and I will never forget Doug's reaction I mean he just like folded in half in disappointment and uh the whole team was just sort of like like there was just this like, oh, no moment. <laughs> I've never seen a person more deject- dejected than Doug, like him folding, literally folding. I mean, it was that was a perfect yeah. way to describe that. Yeah. Um, so I think I finished out that season with you guys. And I don't know that you ever asked me to play flag football again, which like, OK, whatever. It's fine. I get it. But I'm not, you know, 
I'm not still bitter. You're about bitter, it or but you were still you're still game to do a podcast with me. Yes, that's, that's right. That's right. And you're still a very good friend. So it all worked out in the end. Hey, hey, we won some street hockey, some soccer. We're, we were good. We Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We competed together plenty. So to get to know Laura a little bit better, I've got a couple questions for you, Laura. Mm-hmm. Quick fire. Would you rather live in a treehouse or a cave? Definitely a treehouse. Definitely a treehouse. Other than Let's- like carrying carrying your groceries up and like, you know, schlepping, which I did when I was living in New York for many years um that would probably be the worst part but like i like being outside i like the sunlight you know i think that would be a big draw what about you i feel like you're probably a treehouse guy treehouse it's tough though because the logistics of a cave make a lot of sense you can keep heat in a cave so when it's cold out you know got that you're not doing the walk up when you're doing stuff but you know i kind of like i i like the treehouse aspect probably a little nostalgia as well yeah, you know, like a treehouse in like tree Hawaii. House. How about that? That sounds nice. Deal. <laughs> Deal. All right. If you could have water and one other drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's got to be bourbon because it's for me just sort of the cure all, you know, when you're this is going to sound dark, so I apologize. But when you're feeling sad, have a little bourbon, feel a little better. When you're feeling happy, have a little bourbon, feel even happier. And, you know, headache, stomach ache, any general ailment, bourbon, man. Fantastic. <laughs> that was the longest. I didn't pause. expect bourbon. I didn't expect bourbon from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. lovely. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas. There you go. You took it in an interesting way with bourbon, a little dark, mm-hmm. a little different. Um, I'm going to take it deep here and okay. I want to set some foundations for the conversation we're going to have about your career about mom life, about all sorts of things. So how would you define your why or your purpose in life? So I would look at the answer to that question in in two prongs. One is professionally and the other is personally. So professionally, um, I am an editor at a global news organization. Um, I was a reporter and an editor at a Another global news organization out of college. I studied journalism at Carolina. I feel very strongly about journalism's role in this country um, and the world. And so, you know, I can get a little bit on my soapbox about, you know, the importance of the First Amendment and whatnot, you know. So I am but a small cog in that wheel, um, but I I feel very privileged to be a small cog in that wheel because I think it's so important. So there's that. You know, the other personally, as you said, I'm a new mom. I have an almost 10 month old baby now. I think I can speak for myself and for my husband in saying that we just want to be good parents, um, that we want to give her a good life, a comfortable life, give her everything she wants and needs. Um, So that's pretty basic, but, you know, very important. I guess I'll add a third prong to this. I do believe strongly in giving back. You know, I I do think that I am in a public service sort of role in my job right now, Um, but there's definitely, you know, more for me to do there down the road. Certainly. And I think we can all probably, myself included, do a better job of giving back and it's something we all want to do. So you got to have the time and the financial ability to to either give your time or give your money to be able to give back, but um, certainly something that's high on my list as well. Well, thank you for sharing the purpose. That's a tough question and it's something that evolves over time. Another foundational question, Laura, is there's a concept of a growth mindset and I would be curious how you would define what a growth mindset is. Sure. So I think there's a couple of things that go into a growth mindset for me. One is humility. Someone very important in my life told me that or taught me that humility is an incredibly important trait to have and I couldn't agree more. Um, to me, that just means not having all the answers. You're willing to learn, to change, to evolve. Um, and I think that goes hand in hand with something else that I think is part of the growth mindset, which is curiosity. Uh, that is obviously a big one for me. I am lucky enough to have a job that's built around curiosity. I get to call reporters up and say like, hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you make of that? Like, That's just a cool job to have, right? So I think it's really important to be curious in the people around you, in what's going on in the world around you, or whether it's your community, your state, whatever. Um, And then 
the reason for that is because I think it makes you a more empathetic and understanding individual. And I think it makes you like a better dinner conversationalist. No one wants to sit next to someone who doesn't ask you questions about yourself or what's well, going on. Yeah. One of the toughest situations I've been in, my wife and I were at a cooking class and we were sitting across from another couple that we didn't know. And it was one of those interactions where for 90 minutes, we were sitting across from them, just asking, being curious, asking them yeah. questions about their life, about what they have going on. And it was their answer. And then they didn't say anything back. Dude, that is <laughs> and it was just worst. like one, one way ping pong the whole way. Yes. yes. And it and was like debilitating for me. I, I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. It's so t- like, it's like pulling teeth. I mean, or it can be, especially when people are just not engaging, but aside from it just being like annoying and putting the burden on you to be, you know, the the lead in the conversation, it just like it limits you from learning something new about somebody that you've just met or I I've just found that like and Tim and I have been in a lot of similar situations where you know, you're sitting at a bar or you're sitting in some situation. I mean, gosh, a couple of times when we've traveled internationally, we'll be sitting at a dinner table and we met a couple from New Zealand who are probably like 15 years older than us, but they just kind of leaned over and they were like, hey, we're not going to finish this bottle of Prosecco. Do you want it? And we were like, uh, sure. And from there, we had like such a nice evening with them because we just started talking with each other and asking each other about where they're from and what their life is like and what they do for a living and their kids and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see these people again, but I do know if I'm ever in New Zealand, I'm going to drop them a line and be like, hey, we're here. And like, think of how that opens up your world. You know what I mean? Oh, it, it certainly does. And to tie it into growth. So the, the question was around growth mindset and you talked about humility and curiosity. And I think what you're getting at is that you that if you want to grow, if you have a mindset of growth is go be curious to go learn about other cultures, about other people, about other skills, because without curiosity, you're just kind of, you are who you are yes. and you're not going to, you're not going to grow. That's right. That's right. There's one other part of the growth mindset that has struck me that um, I think is important or has been important for me. And it, it's really resonating right now um, in my job. And that is just like problem solving and figuring things out. I sort of default to asking people around me or people above me in my job what I should do in a certain situation. And that's fine. I think in a lot of cases you should get feedback from people around you. But I am trying very hard these days to problem solve on my own and like figure it out so I'm not creating questions or things that other people need to think about and figure out for me. Oh yeah. The best way to learn is just go do it yourself. Yes. Yes. So figure it out is a big, <laughs> big part. Yeah, of my And you need, I mean, you need days. humility and curiosity to go be able to do that by yourself. I think that's right. I think that's right. And you yes. certainly need curiosity because you need to be, go be curious about, okay, how, how can I go solve this? Yes. How have definitely. others solved this? Or how can I sit back and think, how do I go do this? And you got to be a little bit curious you can't just sit there and wait for the problem to solve itself. That's you right. got to go figure it out. Someone asked me one time if I could gift my kid a trait, a character trait that I, that 100% certainty that they would have. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is very high on that list. Same. Because if, if you're curious, a lot of good things can happen. You can, you can achieve a lot of growth. You can become empathetic and, and empathy is, I think, one of the great you know, character traits that anyone could have. So oh I, I really like the answer, Laura. I couldn't agree with you more. And like, I think about that. I think Tim and I both think about that a lot um, about how to instill curiosity in our daughter. I mean, there's no right answer at all. You know, I think my growing up, I was taught to love to read and taught to really value and care about my education. And like, I think those are all things that helped a lot, but it's, it's just such an interesting, I think you're right. If you could give it as a gift to your child, I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I want to ask you, Clay, 
because as the as a reporter at heart, I feel very uncomfortable being the only one answering questions. And as I just said, it's a pet peeve of mine to not ask questions of another person. I want to ask you what your growth mindset is and what your purpose in life is. Turning it back on me. Turning okay. it back. So purpose is to be there for and with others. Mm-hmm. I have tried to simplify that to the best of my ability, and that's what I've got. Hmm. And that can manifest itself in many ways, um, but it's mainly being there for and with, number one, my family, number two, anyone else that I love, um, you know, my friends or anyone else that, that I care about. And then three is just, other people, strangers, whoever, and just be there for and with them and whatever they need. And in order to be able to do that, you need kind of freedom of time. You need freedom of attention. You need probably, uh, you know, freedom of financial to be able Mm -hmm. to be there for and with others, but you can do it in pockets, but that would be my purpose. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I do my newsletter. I do my podcast because if kind of, if I can reach one or two people, and it can have yeah. an impact, or if this conversation can have an impact on one person, then that that is my that is fulfilling my purpose. Mm-hmm. Is I get joy from being there for and with others. That's awesome. And by the way, you say that you need like freedom of uh, mind and time and finances to do that. I think that's right, but I do think that you could. I mean, if you're going to like the grocery store and. I'm just thinking that that can that sort of interaction can happen in the same way we were talking about curiosity. You can be there for and with others in any situation that you find yourself in out in the world. Not to not to like oversimplify it, but I just I really like that mindset because it's just something that you can have with you at all times, no matter what you're doing. Right? Yep, you could do it in pockets for sure. And and my point on time and energy and all of that is so that I can do it the most of the time. Mm, yes. But it it's but you're right. Even with limited time or limited resources, you know, I can still do it. And so a lot of my energy is put toward freeing up as much of my time and spending it on the things that I prioritize and that I want right. that I, where I can serve my purpose and be there with my kids, be there with my family, be there for others that I care about and others in the world. Tell me about your growth mindset. And I want to know, has you've done several of these conversations so far. So I want to know, has it changed as you've talked to others about their growth mindset? So I would define a growth mindset with two words. You used humility and curiosity, which I really love. I would define mine as effort and vulnerability. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is in order to grow, you've got to have effort, which means you need to have time, you need to have attention, you need to have work ethic, you need to try, you need to have a bias for action. You need to have effort in order to grow. You can't just stand still. Mm. But you also need to have vulnerability through that effort. So you need to be able to embrace mistakes and failure. You need to be okay to look silly, to look different. And you need to start to become someone you've never identified as because people know you who you are today. When you grow, you change. And you need to be okay with that change. You need to be okay with what that looks like as you go through that growth process. And you have to be very vulnerable through that. And it's why I think a lot of people stop because it's scary. It's different. They're worried about what people think. And I've felt that for sure. Yes. But But I think effort and vulnerability are two really key components to having a growth mindset. Yeah. That's that resonates with me personally. I mean, one of the things that I struggle with in my career in particular is fear of failure. Um and failure is a big word, but like I am really afraid of screwing something up. And I work in a very high octane, high stakes environment. Um you know, I had one editor long ago at Bloomberg tell me that, you know, if you report on something at Bloomberg News, you're basically taking a cannon and shooting a cannon at your target, right? Or whoever it is that you're reporting about, um, given the power of Bloomberg's reach. Screwing that up is something that's like, it sits with me every day. And so 
it it prevents me from taking risks from making decisions or being decisive about something because I just I don't want to screw up like so I totally I I I like I totally just vibe with that yeah and it's hard it's really hard to be vulnerable especially in a setting like you just described mm-hmm but also, I will say the best managers I've had have that vulnerability that you're talking about, whether it's being able to say like, yeah, I fucked that one up or, yeah, you know, I don't know the answer to that question right now, but let me go figure it out and get back to you. Like, Yeah, this yeah. saying of I don't know, I'm so glad you brought that up because the saying of, of the three words I don't know is so yeah. powerful. Yep. Because it's so hard to say because you feel like you're expected to know the answer. It's like, oh, someone's asking me a question. I should know this answer. Yes, yes. And what are they going to think of me if I say I don't know? And the reality is, is that most people will be grateful when you say I don't know because they'll know that you're not BSing them about the other stuff you're talking about. That is so, yes, that's exactly right. Um, I feel that acutely in my job because I have been working in journalism for, when did we graduate? 2010. So just over a decade, I manage people who have been doing this for two plus decades. And so there's a level of confidence that I feel like I need to exude. But saying I don't know is a much more honest and direct approach that they respect more because you're not bullshitting them, as you said. So that is a really, I try to do that as much, not as much as I can, but when I need to, right. Um, I feel very strongly that be it's hard, as you said, but being able to say, I don't know, is just so important, especially, you know, for someone in a management position, I think. Sure. And when you, when you say, I don't know, especially in a room with other people, it gives them the confidence that, oh, wait, that there wasn't a negative reaction when she said she didn't know. So maybe I can say that. And the beautiful thing So not only are you affecting others potentially by saying, I don't know, and having the confidence to say, I don't know, you can combine it with what you said around curiosity, because now you don't know something, you're probably going to be tagged to go figure it out. And now you got to go be curious to go figure it out. So next time it's asked, you're going to know the answer. Man, you're just tying all of the, all of the pieces together. Look at that. Got to tie the threads. You're a pro, man. Laura, that's that's awesome. I appreciate you asking me about my purpose and my growth mindset. I was pretty certain that a investigative reporter would be throwing stuff back at me. So keep it coming if you yes. feel if you feel the desire. I will. Um, all right. <laughs> I it's been way too long in this podcast where you mentioned ESPN, and I haven't asked as a massive sports fan, what is it like to work at ESPN? Oh man. Okay. So it's pretty awesome. It's awesome for a lot of reasons. One, and you've visited campus with me before, um, so you've kind of you've gotten the gist of what it's like. I like swimming in big ponds, you know, working at Bloomberg and now ESPN. Um, but ESPN is so it's just so cool. I mean, first of all, let me just say that I work with some of the most talented investigative reporters and editors in the country um, who could go toe to toe with any investigative. Uh, unit at any other news organization and I just am so I'm totally I get pretty like overwhelmed with that because it's just it's freaking awesome I'm in my dream job and then it's just like we're not on campus right now uh, because of the pandemic Um, I hope to be going back soon but campus is a really cool place if you're a sports fan there's cool kind of like sporty type things all over the office like you've seen when you walk into the cafeteria um you can press a button of like your favorite college and the fight song will play as you like walk down the corridor into the cafeteria so that's pretty cool and you see people around campus that i've seen the bus jerome bettis walking around like it's just so it's just moments like that that you just don't have working anywhere else that makes it really freaking cool just to be on the campus, let alone work for the company, just sounds incredible. So um, what what was your favorite moment? I have a couple. Seeing the bus was pretty legendary. Um, and he said hi to me and to a colleague of mine who's also happens to be a Steelers fan. And we were just to- totally like, 
like hey (laughs) just fanboy fangirl totally it was totally it was very silly um but i had the opportunity when i was working for espnw which is our women's sports uh part of espn to uh in 2019 to get members of the 1999 uh, women's national soccer team together for a reunion for a 20th anniversary reunion and for those listeners out there who aren't sure that's the team with you know Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Michelle Akers, etc. World Cup winning team and you know back in 99 It's when sports bras became mainstream. Yes sir, that's right. You know I wore number 6 because of Brandy Chastain for like the remainder of my life in various sports and whatnot. So fun fact. So we brought them together for a TV special and for um, a shoot in our magazine. And I met most of the team that day or over that weekend. And that was just like, that was like kind of an out of body experience because in 1999, like those girls as a, as a young soccer player, those girls were it. Like that was who I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Carolina to play soccer, like me a ham. Like, so to meet them 20 years later as someone working at ESPN and I mean, how jealous was your 11 year old self? It was, if I could have, <laughs> okay, Clay, when I was 11, when I, was it maybe when I was 10, as they were sort of making their world cup run, I mean, I was 11 that, no, I was 10 that summer. Anyway, uh, Shannon McMillan, who was a member of that team, uh, shares a birthday with me. And so I wrote her a letter and was like, hey, you and I have the same birthday. We should get the whole team together to celebrate our birthdays together in October. <laughs> and I mailed it off to God knows where. And I did get a signed postcard from her back. But like my point, <laughs> which was great and a huge moment for me, but like if I could have told my 10 or 11 year old self, like, Hey, you're going to meet that whole team one day. I just, I probably would have like fainted or something like that. (laughs) That was totally, that was it, man. Those were, that was a very, very inspirational team in my life. It sounds like you were relatively composed given that was all going inside of you, all happening inside of you. And you had to remain relatively composed being surrounded by those amazing women for all day. Had to be professional. We had deadlines to meet. We had to get the production done. Like it was, I was cool about it, you know, but like, yes, inside I was like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And by the uh... way, they're all so nice. They're like the nicest people. Christine Lilly, who I just connected with her when I was, you know, 10, because like, she had frizzy hair and a red face and I had frizzy hair and a red face. And she's like the night and she's from Connecticut, actually. She's like the nicest, nicest person. And that was what was so heartwarming about it was like, not only were they my, you know, childhood heroes to meet them as an adult, they were just nice people. Like I don't, that's always that refreshing. Happens. That's it really, really refreshing is. to hear. It was yeah. awesome. Oh, anyway, I've gushed about that enough. I think <laughs> Hey, so you mentioned you're a investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. What's an example of a story that you all have done? My team did, or members of my team did a big project on dead money, which is the money left on a coaching contract. Basically, when a school decides to part ways with its coaches, we looked at football, men's basketball, women's basketball. Um, and over the past 10 years, we figured out that schools have paid over $500 million in dead money to coaches who are not working for them. But I should say I played a tiny role in that, but, um, it was such a cool project. It had great digital design. Uh, you can kind of, it's a huge database. You can scroll through and look at, we did all FBS schools, I believe. So all the power five schools, plus a couple of other conferences, smaller conferences, all the public schools who are, you know, obligated to give us data. That was such a cool project to be a part of. Um, I didn't lead that one by any measure, but um, like I said, I did help and it was pretty, pretty freaking cool. It sounds like you can get into some really interesting things through sports on the investigative reportive side. So um, neat to share that. I appreciate that. Kind of switching gears a little bit because we talked on the, about, I don't know, and saying, I don't know, and kind of Mm -hmm. having the confidence to Mm -hmm. say, I don't know. It got me thinking about this concept 
of imposter syndrome. Yes. What would you say imposter syndrome is? Well, I suffer from it. I think a lot of people who are high achieving and humble do suffer from it. For me, it just means you have this perpetual feeling of not belonging or not deserving of the role that you're in. What advice would you have for someone who deals with that? Bottom line is you have to figure out what works for you. Um, For me, I derive a lot of fuel and energy off of positive feedback, particularly from people who manage me, from people I respect or from and or from people I want to impress. So when I am feeling, you know, particularly blue or particularly like I like, what am I doing here? I'm not good enough for this job. You know, whatever sort of imposter syndrome feelings might enter your mind. I personally think back to this one email that a boss of mine sent. I won't get into the details of what it said, but it said a really nice thing about me and about how I'm good at my job. And I save that email. I print that email out. Um, So I have that email close at hand. And whenever I'm sort of feeling those imposter syndrome things, I just go and read that email. And it makes me feel a little bit better. So I think it's just about finding the thing that reminds you that you're good at what you do and that you do belong in the role that you're in. Yeah, you got to find confidence in some yeah. form or fashion. And yep. and seeing an email from a genuine email from your leader to the, you know, other people in the org gave, you know, probably a sense of validation and gave you confidence that hey, okay, I do know what I'm doing. Yep. That's right. And I'm here for a reason. They wouldn't have brought me onto this team if they didn't think I could do it, right? So I have a boss who has to tell me a lot. You are empowered to do what you need to do. You have the right instincts, so you need to follow your gut. Like, I need to be reminded of that constantly, and I'm sorry about that but <laughs> to my boss, but I, I just need that sort of, like, verbal reminder or written validation or whatever it is to just like propel me forward and to shake off any of those kind of like nagging insecurities. It seems like that it's stuck with you for a while, even though, I mean, you've, you've been in really, you went to a great journalism school. You've worked at great jobs at Bloomberg and ESPN. It seems like it's kind of still with you. It is. I mean, I think anyone who wants to be a high performer or who is a high performer deals with that. You have, you must deal with that. I imagine. I do. Yeah. And I, I did more in the past, especially when I was younger. And you, you mentioned earlier working with people that are double your age or two decades yeah. older, way more experience. I, I certainly had that. I mean, I'm you know 24 year old in a room full of 40 and 50 year olds. And I'm like, should I speak up? Should I, should I say, I don't know. And mm-hmm. so I dealt with that aspect a lot. Now I definitely deal with it less. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm wondering what changed about it. Um mm-hmm. because well, having more years under your belt professionally definitely helps. It does. It, it certainly does. And I <laughs> this may <laughs> this may come off the wrong way, but you kind of realize that other people don't think about you that much. Yes. And imposter syndrome for me was, okay, what if I, if, if I'm in a meeting with 10 people and I'm the youngest and I feel like I don't know if I belong and I say something that they are going to think like for months about what I had said, <laughs> when in reality, they may think about it one more time in their entire existence of life. Right, right. And you kind of realize that speaking up, especially if something in your gut is telling you, I need to say something, I need to I need to share my opinion, I need to share my thought, or I need to challenge someone about something, even if they are double my age or have double my experience, that it really, even if it goes poorly, which usually it doesn't, by the way, 
especially if your gut's telling you to say something. Mm-hmm. It usually doesn't go poorly, but even if it does, it's really not that important. People yeah, don't think right. about what you said. They think about themselves all the time. Yes. They don't think about other people very often. That's and right. look, that's myself included. Like I'm not sitting here thinking about what you know Joe or Kevin or Susie said at a meeting last week. Like I'm just, we're just not wired that way. So yeah. I think when I made that realization that that helped bring competence and for the most part, remove imposter syndrome for me. Yeah. And I think like the more, it just takes reps too. I mean, the more you realize that your gut is right, the more you learn to rely on it and to trust it. Um, I'm kind of in the throes of that right now in my career. It was just like, you know what? You do typically have the right instinct, that teeny tiny voice in your head that's telling you to check this thing out one more time or to reread that sentence or to just go back and ask that reporter just one nagging question. It's almost always the right thing to do. And so I think the more you realize that, it just makes it easier, you know? It does. And another thing that comes to mind is preparation. Preparation can bring a lot of confidence and that confidence can help you when you do have that, hey, should I say this? Well, it's like, hey, I prepared. I've thought a lot through this. This is not just on a whim. Mm -hmm. I think that that can help too. It's interesting to me that I'm so grateful that you share it, but it's interesting to me that it seems like you feel it a lot still. And I'd be curious, like, what could someone say or do for you to be able to maybe not feel that as much as you do right now? So I think I still feel that mostly because, so I started in this investigative unit um, about two and a half years ago. And as I said, I've been working with, uh, or I work with, I manage reporters who have been doing this for 10 times that, which is like, it's just crazy. I don't know that there's one thing that somebody could say to sort of like help me turn this off. And actually, Clay, <laughs> I like it because I think it makes it me better at my job. Um, it or it, it it forces me to get better and it keeps me from getting complacent. So it's I fuel for you. It is like I. I never want to feel like oh, I've got all the answers, you know, like I know what I'm doing. Because part of that hey, is- this is getting back to your purpose, or excuse me, around your growth mindset with humility. Yes. Yes, it is. But a- another part of it, honestly, is like practical in my job. Because the minute you get complacent or you think you know everything, you're going to fuck up. And like in the job that I work in, you can't fuck up. Like things have to be right. Things have to be- legally sound the job has to be done a certain way there's a huge responsibility that comes with my job that and I don't know if this is imposter syndrome necessarily but certainly like you just can't feel like you have it all figured out so maybe that's more to the humility thing but I do like what you said about being prepared too I feel very strongly about that in my job um I never want to be viewed as an editor who's sort of swooping in at the last moment to either edit a story cold or whatever like I feel very strongly about being in the trenches with my report my reporters understanding the reporting that they're gathering looking at all the documents that they've collected if they've written up interview transcripts going through those um, because I just I want to know what they know so that I can help identify holes make smart suggestions what have you this is going to sound like humble brag but like I just like your point about being prepared is is a huge one for me um, and what I spend like a majority of my time <laughs> doing to make myself feel like I am in it with the reporters who are out doing the work. Yeah. And that's just honestly, that's great leadership by you is to be there for them and not feel like that they're on an island and that you're there to support them and make sure that the story can be the best that it can be. I hope so. All right. So before we transition to kind of our last section, because I want to talk about motherhood and your career yeah. and, and how you're balancing that, mm-hmm. uh, just in general, what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student 
about to enter the real world. It doesn't have to be about journalism, just in general. Like if you could go back and talk to your 21 year old self, what would you tell yourself? There's a couple of things. Um, One is like, get on the phone with people and talk to them. I think our generation in particular, Clay, is known for, has a reputation for hiding behind an email or a text or what have you. And I have just found that it's so much better to get on the phone with someone and talk to them or get a coffee with someone. Talking to someone on the phone is like, I've gotten much better at it. I used to be very hesitant to pick up the phone and call somebody. And now my husband thinks, because, you know, we're both working at home, he thinks my job is to just be on the phone all day. (laughs) Because I'm just on the phone with people all day. And it just, it shows a level, I think, when you have to give difficult feedback or whatever, it's just better to have a conversation with someone as opposed to writing an email or a text. Well, you can't, and you can't, you don't understand tone. You can't sense tone through written communication. Yes. And I will tell you, I've sent a pissy email that I did intend to be pissy, but it created a lot of problems. And like, I had to clean up my own mess when I should have just picked up the fucking phone and called the person that I wanted to call. And this happened recently, by the way. So like, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not trying to imply that I'm perfect, but it took me many days and weeks to like repair that relationship after I sent a pissy email rather than picking up the phone. So that happens. And I just, I just think it shows like a level of maturity and respect and interest in other people when you call them and be like, Hey, how you doing? How are your kids? How was your weekend? You know, like curiosity. Yeah. I think it makes you a better manager. So there's that. The other thing is, and like this has been super important in my life, is just finding your people. I have a small group of people who have mentored me, who have become dear friends, who have opened doors for me at Bloomberg, at ESPN, or otherwise at Carolina. I owe everything to those people professionally. Some I have met through family and through personal life, right? And others I have met professionally who have become dear friends. And you have to seek those people out because, you know, it's it's not always what you know, it's who you know. Someone gave me an awesome edit to that. Uh It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. Mm. Yes. That's interesting. Just because you know someone, that doesn't mean that it's going to benefit you. Well, that's true. So my little sort of like subhead to that is that it's not just that you know someone. Yes, there are people who have opened doors for me and given me opportunities, but I've had to like earn the opportunity. And on the backside, I've had to prove that I deserved the opportunity. So I've worked really hard through college and in my career to show that, oh, you made the right decision in helping me get this job or whatever it was, right? So, you know, you talk about not getting complacent, like that is huge for me. So like, I think... And I don't know if you have a, a little cohort of people in your life who have. Oh, I certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you can maybe understand the importance of that. I term them my career board of directors. Mm. So I really like that. I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm going to steal that. That's excellent. It's the, the five. I, I stole it uh, from uh, one of my first mentors, Chad Olds, yep. who, who's also a podcast guest. He and he and I actually talk about this a little bit, but career board of directors is just the people that you go to when you're making big decisions. Yep. But those people, they came from something and they came from you picking up the phone to your point, going and having conversations, being curious about their life, what their desires are. And, you know, like Whitney, my wife is my, she's the chairman of the board. Of of course she is. I mean- you know, I, like, you, you know, I got family members way. on that board. I have people yep. that I, former coworkers, current coworkers on that board, friends that, you know, a tight knit group of people that know who I am, won't be afraid to challenge me. 
mm-hmm. but are emotionally invested in my success, just like just like I'm emotionally invested in their success. Yes, and it's just the people that you can count on. So I, yes. I really like your advice on, and and they're not mutually exclusive. It's hey, go pick up the phone and find your people. Right, you have to find your people, and like you have to earn their attention and their respect. You know, you have to show you're worthy of their. And in my case, like, yes, I have family and friends and whatnot who I consult um, on any number of things, you know, Tim being a number one. But professionally, you can't just like knock on chief executive's door and expect to be given something, right? Like, it's about, to, to your point, it's about developing relationships. It's about working hard to, to demonstrate that you deserve their attention. Gosh, we could get into mentorship and a whole host of things around this, but I think it's great advice, Laura, around just finding your people. It doesn't happen overnight. No. And there's going to be some people that you're going to reach out to. You have one conversation. It's just like, this isn't a fit for whatever reason. Yep. But over time, you'll find your people. And the key thing is, is to maintain and grow those relationships. Don't mm-hmm. just check a box and say, great, I've got this person on my list now. Because over time, that it's going to go away. You can't just reach out to that person two years later and say, hey, remember we had that great coffee? Yes. It's going to be like, how are you expecting me to help you if we haven't connected over That's the last exactly two right. years? Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Laura, you've been on, as I mentioned, a rocket ship through your career. You've done awesome things. And now you have a 10-month-old. So at some That's point, right. you had to make the decision to have a child because that's obviously going to be somewhat disruptive to this career. So I'm curious if you're open to talking about it is what was that decision process like? I knew very early on that I did not want, I've always wanted to have a family. I knew pretty quickly that I didn't want to raise a family in New York city because that's just like a totally different animal. And I just, it was not the lifestyle that I, that I envisioned for myself. So I had an eye on leaving New York whenever it was I wanted to start a family. So uh, Tim and I moved up to a beautiful town called Glastonbury. Uh, We have a lovely home here. And, you know, we just like, we both wanted to have children. So we, you know, there it's hard. Like there wasn't really a decision process, right? We just sort of got to the point in our lives. We had, as I said earlier, we had um, gone abroad. We've been to Europe. We've been to Japan. We've sort of like, We've been to Hawaii, like we've done a lot of the things that we wanted to do. You know, we hit sort of like age 30 plus and decided it was time to, we want to have multiple children. So there's a biological reality to that. Sure. <laughs> so so well, what um, hesitations, if any, did you have? Oh, I mean, I think any woman probably knows the uh, hesitations that I had, which is time away from work. You know, is it going to slow me down? All these sort of like very superficial things, at least for me, superficial, because I mean, Clay, I am one of the most fortunate people in the world. I have bosses who have children, male bosses who have children who are family men themselves. Um, I have an extraordinary leave policy, uh, through ESPN and through Disney, so I am extremely fortunate um, and supported in my decision to have a child. So that is not the way it is for everybody. Um, so it's hard for me to give advice or make commentary on what other people might think or feel about having children at any given moment in their career. I have a very supportive environment um, that I'm working in. Uh, so it was it made the decision much, much easier than perhaps it does for for other people. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you have all the sort of like nerves around what having a baby is going to do to your ability to do your job well. And how has that played out? What have you learned about balancing mom life and career life? Oh my gosh. Well, I've learned how efficient I can become. <laughs> I like typically I'm a journalist at heart, so I kind of have like a deadline mentality and my ability to procrastinate is like stellar so (laughs) i've learned that like oh i have an hour and a half while the baby is napping 
I'm like the Tasmanian devil around my house, like getting things done or the baby's at daycare for, you know, eight hours. I'm going to have the most productive day I've had in years. Like I really have been able to like put my head down and work hard when I have the time to in a way that I just like, you know, didn't before. I would still work hard and get my work done, but just in a maybe over a longer period of time. Yeah, um, maybe that's the advice for the young driven college student because <laughs> it's like it's amazing once you have a kid how you realize how much time you had before having oh kids. Oh my god. Yes. It's amazing. I look back and I had all the time in the world. I all know. the time. It's I incredible. Yeah. And now to your point, you got to be really efficient. If you want to go accomplish a lot of different things, you got to be very efficient with your time. Yeah. It's true. Laura, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing everything that you shared. Just appreciate you being vulnerable about everything you know that you've worked through in your career, sharing some advice for your younger self and younger younger people out there. So we've built with Laura Patel. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Clay. I just want to say I am so this what you're doing, this podcast, your newsletter, it takes a lot of time and bravery. And I think it's just so awesome. And thank you for having me on. This has been really nice. Thank you. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.